0: Welcome to a special Christmas episode of The Natural Selection. listeners. We are The Natural Selection, a group of taxonomists who look to bring their passion for nature into the wild. We are here today for a special Christmas episode. I suppose we should meet the team. We were definitely a class, maybe a family, and in no particular order, we have Nick. Hello. We have Naomi. Hello. And I am also Nick. Hello. Don't forget Saint Nick. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, more Nicks than you can shake a stick at, but please don't. We don't like that. But we do like Christmas, right, guys? Oh, I love it. So we've been doing some special research into nature associated with Christmas. I felt quite lucky because I got to research mistletoe. Have you guys got any mistletoe up in your house?
1: No, I've not. uh, it's, It's a pandemic, Nick.
0: Well, yeah, but you can keep it within the household, can't you? Kissing is bad. Kissing is bad. Yeah.
1: No mistletoe here, but I can see some from my window.
0: Okay, you can see mistletoe out your window. Have you been waiting for someone suitably attractive to walk underneath it? Yeah, I'm going to, like, if I see
1: them walking down the street, I'm going to go run two flights down, out the door, across the street, and then get a
0: in <laughs> time. <laughs> uh, now, Naomi, you're quarantining alone in a house, so I think having mistletoe up would be even more depressing
2: yeah it would be a little also you know i'll be honest i've i've never seen mistletoe in real life so i'm just not sure it's a thing here i i i'm aware of it from like you know pop culture and stuff i i know about it but i've never seen anyone have it up in their house in an Ireland anyway
0: okay oh interesting it grows in my uh dad's garden ah it's a mistletoe it's associated with Christmas, as you know, that generally the, the tradition is that you hang it in doorways and anyone standing underneath should kiss underneath it. But there's a few things you probably know about mistletoe. Firstly, did you guys know it's poisonous? No. So it has these beautiful white berries on it, but they are poisonous. Uh, it has something in it called foratoxin, and that's because it doesn't want to be eaten by us. It wants to be eaten by birds. And there's a very good reason for this. It's because it's a hemiparasite. So it is a type of parasite, it's called a hemiparasite. This means it takes water and nutrients from other plants or the the tree it sort of lives in, Uh, but it can also photosynthesize itself. But it doesn't always, it sometimes takes that food as well from the plant, but it does mean it's green, which is very, very important. And that's part of the reason why it wants to be eaten by birds rather than mammals. Because it parasitizes trees, it needs its seeds to land high up in the branches. And generally, if a human being eats them, it's very unlikely that their seeds will end up high in the branches. That would be quite a special human being to be able to do that. But birds, as you know, yeah, they can uh, leave their droppings anywhere, depending on how unlucky you are. Uh, It could end up on your shoulder. But for the mistletoe, they're hoping it ends up in branches. And then it can sort of send its roots into the tree and start absorbing its nutrients. So mistletoe used to refer to just one species, which was viscum album which grows in England and Europe. There is mistletoe in America, but it belongs to a different species. And the mistletoe, Nick, you would have used back in Arizona would most likely be a different species to the one that would be hanging on our doors. Yeah, it's a name for now, an entire group. But the original one was viscum album. And I know you guys are pretty good at your etymology. So album, do you know what that might refer to? White? Yes, it's white. White? So it's those white berries that grow on the mistletoe. Now, interestingly, we use the word album to mean something else. You sort of get a music album or or a photograph album. So where might that come from? Uh, I was looking into that. And that modern word relates to a German expression. And the German expression actually uses Latin words, like sometimes we do like status quo or ipso facto. And that German expression was album amicorum. And this meant blank slate of friends. And what it was, it was a book you would have, And all of your friends would fill it with drawings and poems and thoughts and signatures and things. So you would have an album of your friends. An album historically just meant blank slate. But now it comes to mean a collection of things. So a musical album or a photograph album. That's really sweet. Yeah, I really liked that. Now, viscum refers to the mistletoe itself and is an old Latin word for something called birdlime. Now, have you guys heard of birdlime? No, but I'm
1: guessing it moves slowly and is sticky.
0: Well, the berries of mistletoe are white and sticky. And the reason is because, yeah, they want to get attached to the birds. So when they fly to new trees, these sticky seeds will also stick to branches. And what they would use them is, historically, they would use them to make something called bird lime. So what they would do is they would chew these seeds, not swallow them because they're poisonous, but chew them. And they would make them into long strands, which they could then wrap around small twigs, sort of, yeah, going round and round the small twigs. And what would happen is when a bird landed on this twig, it was so sticky that the bird would get stuck. And -hmm. it was used as a method of hunting birds. So nowadays, bird lime refers to all sorts of chemicals which might fill this sort of uh, method of hunting it's very it's very much uh not legal in many places now but um yeah viscum was the original word for bird line, which was made for mistletoe we're so often used to plant or animal names being named after something latin but interestingly we get a modern word from that latin word for birdline, which nick you might have alluded to Viscus. Viscus comes from this because it's sticky and was used to stick things, uh, it was viscous. So it it's actually comes from mistletoe. That's all well and good. So why is it related to Christmas? Well, one of the reasons is it's been culturally important for thousands of years. Um, and there's a, there's a few very obvious reasons for that. So one is it often grows in deciduous trees, but it itself will stay green during the winter. So it often gets associations with vitality or fertility because it keeps growing even at the darkest times of year. But it's been used by Celts, so they thought it was um, especially holy if it was growing in an oak tree, because it's very rare for mistletoes to grow in oak trees, and rare occurrences in nature often take symbol- symbolic value. So for Celts, a mistletoe in an oak tree was really, really important. Uh, in Norse mythology, it makes an appearance. So an arrow of mistletoe was used to kill Balder, and his mother Frigg was so sad that she cried tears, which became the white berries of the mistletoe. And his death is said to have led or or caused Ragnarok, which was the fall of uh yeah, their home. But yeah, the yeah, this link to being green in deciduous trees is one link to fertility, but also that its other sea seed, uh, its seeds were also said to resemble human sperm. And Celts especially thought that the mistletoe was the essence of their sun god Taranis. So there was another link. And these sort of pagan rituals, as they so often do with Christianity when it moved to new countries, got absorbed. And these associations of fertility and life stayed the course, but they sort of became changed as Christianity became the dominant culture in England. And the rituals evolved to the ones we recognize today. So it was in Victorian England, it was said that any lady standing under mistletoe could be kissed by a man and to refuse was bad luck. And sometimes a barrier was removed from the mistletoe after each kiss. When the branch was bare, no more kisses could be sought from that mistletoe. And of course, nowadays, that's not a problem. You can refuse kisses from whoever you like, even if there is mistletoe there. But uh, that's where we sort of get this modern thing that lovers might kiss under a mistletoe in a doorway.
1: That's so interesting. And it had so many different parts to it. Thank you.
2: Yeah, so many, so many things that I didn't know. Also, lots of different ties in with like mythology and etymology as well, which was great. Thank you, Nick.
0: But Nick, I think you'd be researching one of my favorite things about Christmas, because I am a greedy pig at this time of year. Uh, Nick, I did not research pies.
1: Um, <laughs> but it can be made into a pie. In fact, the thing that I looked into, I you know, I knew a little bit about mostly the smell and the song. But hold on, it's a surprise. So we'll get there in a second. But the thing that I did research on, I was surprised most to find the number of different ways that it can be used. And that's what I want to talk about most today. So I took the song, um, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, as my starting point for this research this week, doing some research into chestnuts and the chestnut tree, which is not just one species, but a whole group of eight or nine species of trees and shrubs that are all in the same genus, Castanea, which comes directly from the Latin for chestnut, which then leads us to the French which then leads us to chestnut, which is the old English, but then transferred into modern English chestnut. doesn't have anything to do with chests, alas.
0: Is that where you get castanets from? Exactly, Nick, as I was going to say next.
1: Oh, sorry. No, no, no. No, you're exactly right. Castanets, which is a type of instrument that was originally made from the shells of a chestnut, comes from the name for the Latin name castania, which then transfers into the chestnut exactly so that's a little inkling of the many ways that chestnuts can be used we're doing a little like a vlog or something this is when a little ding would sound and a little text thing would come up that says musical instrument and then we keep adding to it as the video goes on until the, the video is filled with just things that chestnuts can be used in but because we're on a podcast you're going to have to invent all of that yourself in your mind Close your eyes and imagine the chestnut uses. So as we all know, chestnuts smell amazing when they're roasted and almost all of the trees in this genus produce edible nuts. So these nuts can be eaten roasted as we know them best in the Western world during Christmas time, but they can also be eaten raw. They can be ground up and made into flour from which a bread can be made and the bread can be used. It can be kept fresh because of the moisture in the chestnut flour for up to two weeks without going bad, which I think is a great, um, it's like a really good way of storing a lot of nutritious material in one place for a while. It can also be used for things like cakes, pies, pastas, polenta, pancakes, all of those start with peas except cakes, which I love. It can also be made into a sugar. So chestnuts are naturally rich in sugar. It's part of why they taste so good. And they can be fermented. The juice of the chestnut can be fermented into either a sort of something mixed with rum in hungary is a delicacy or into something that basically can act um as a granular sugar you can use it as coffee flavor substitute you can use it in purees you can rice it you can make a dessert called vermicelli's it's swiss dessert that's not how you say that in swiss but uh swiss isn't a language but food isn't the only thing that chestnuts can be made into. We mentioned musical instruments, but they can also be used as animal litter and animal fodder, both to feed them and to let them sleep in. It's one of their common uses. It can be used as fuel for fires, used as timber. The wood of the chestnut tree is a commonly used piece of wood. A chestnut chest is a good one. It can be used to tan leather because of the natural dyes within the bark uh, and was used often to tan leather before the invention of synthetic tannins. And finally, it can be made into a meal. And then the leaves and skins of the chestnut can be made into a shampoo. There are some other uses of the chestnut, which include medicinal uses, which aren't fully agreed upon by modern medical studies, but it's possible that they might be used in alternative medicine. There's one last thing that doing this research I had to sort of double check on. And it was whether or not chestnuts can be used in games. So, as you two, who are from the UK and Ireland, may know, a type of chestnut, loosely, is used in the game Conkers. And I had to do some research into this because it's not a game that we play in America, so I didn't grow up playing it. But I know, uh, Nick just gave me a, a shocked look. But it's true. We don't ha- we don't use them, and we don't really have them because the Conkers they're not actually chestnuts. They come from a tree called a horse chestnut which I thought was close enough that I could include it just to talk about the difference here. A horse chestnut is in the Aeschylus genus, and it's also called a buckeye. And it flowers in the summer, really beautiful. They're actually my favorite tree in the UK, and they, we don't have them in North America, or they're not nearly as popular, so we don't have this Concord game. But another way that a quote-unquote chestnut can be used is in this game, Conquers, where you tie a chestnut, horse chestnut to a string and smack each other's chestnuts with it until one of them breaks. And somehow that's fun for hours or days. Um, I don't know. It's <laughs> not my thing. I guess my surprise here was to discover that chestnuts can be used in every aspect of life, it seems.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it makes it sound like you could get the food, the house and the entertainment all built out of chestnuts.
1: All you need is the mistletoe.
2: <laughs> yeah, so many uses that I was not aware of. Also, wasn't really aware that a horse chestnut was different chestnut. I thought they were like kind of the same, but I learned okay. something new.
1: Apparently, they're in different orders. Ah! Wow. wow! Yeah,
0: yeah, that was a bit of a surprise to me too.
1: They're both roses, but they're in different. From there on, they split.
0: So, how much did you read about conkers, Nick?
1: A decent amount, but living in the UK, I found out more. That's how I know about conkers. Uh, have you ever had a go? No. Oh, uh,
0: Well, we'll but treat I you one day.
1: I don't understand how you drill a hole in chestnut. That doesn't make sense to me.
0: Well, there's different ways, and you can use ways which, um, yeah, some people are like, this is a better way to get a better conquer. So you're more likely to win your conquer battles. So some people soak them in vinegar. Uh, some people roast them in the oven to make them hard.
1: Um, That's cheating. Or like it wouldn't work. Like it would make them more brittle.
0: But yeah, you know, like a potato skewer. What do you call them? Potato. You know, the things you can. Like a kebab stick, basically. You just jam it through the top and then you put the string through.
1: But it's a very hard nut.
0: Well, we're pretty tough in the UK and Ireland.
1: That's true. And I'm sure your potato skewers, whatever that is, are pretty tough too.
0: <laughs> the, oh, the Nick, the very last thing, I'm
1: glad that you brought me back to the UK, that I wanted to mention is the Tortworth chestnut. Um, are you familiar? It's the largest no. tree in the UK. <laughs> The Tortworth chestnut, what is 15.8 meters, 52 feet in circumference, when it was measured at the time of the American Revolution from England in 1776, when it was then the largest tree in England. It's still alive, and now it looks like a small grove of chestnuts because the trunk has spread so far that other saplings have arisen from it. Oh, where is it? Tortworth.
0: Oh. <laughs> there. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I bet that they're glad that there's now a one reason to visit there. It's
1: in Gloucestershire. If you're thinking of building this chestnut house that we described with all of your food and all of your wood and all of your everything that you need your entertainment, you're going to need some way of moving all that chestnut from one place to another.
2: Yes. I know just the animals that might be able to help that. So I this week I looked up all about reindeer. Or um, if you're from North America, you might know them as caribou. Interestingly, in North America, the animals in the wild are known as caribou. But if they're domesticated, they're known as reindeer. But they're the same species. So the scientific name is Rangifer tyrandus. They are a member of the deer family. (laughs) Lots of really cool things that I learned today about reindeer. They are found... In the Arctic and sub-Arctic regions, so you find them in mountainous regions of North Europe, Siberia, and North America. So they're really well adapted to the cold. A couple of adaptations that they have is that they've got fur from their nose to their toes. So this is something I learned today that uh, reindeer are the only deer species that have fur covering their nose and also on their hooves. Um, and so on their nose, it helps them adapt to the cold air going into their their nose, and it's an adaptation to help them. Uh, warm up that air and on their hooves it's actually to help them walk when it's it's snowy it helps them grip onto the ground. Reindeer often live in herds Uh, they can uh, vary greatly in size depending on the subspecies there are about 14 subspecies of reindeer two of which are now thought to be extinct Uh, so that's according to the mammal species of the world the third edition and the 14 subspecies so they do kind of vary in size and coloration both between individuals and also among the subspecies. So generally, they can kind of be brown, grey, white sort of colorings, And they also have two different layers of fur. So they have an underlayer, uh, which is to help keep them warm, and then the outer layer, which helps trap all the the air as like an extra layer of insulation. So reindeer are, are deer, as I mentioned. And this means that they have antlers, so something between horns and antlers. Antlers are shed, horns are not, they, they grow. So antlers are composed of a uh, combination of bone and keratin and they are shed. Interestingly, reindeer, both the male and the females of the species have antlers. So this is kind of unusual for deers. Generally, females wouldn't have antlers. It can occur in some species, but it's usually kind of to do with excess testosterone in the females as opposed to being common. And something really cool that I found out is that the, so they lose their antlers at different times. So males grow their antlers in February and the female antlers grow there in May. So they both finish growing their antlers at the same times, but they shed them at different times. So male reindeer get rid of their antlers in November and females keep them up until they have calves in May. So do you guys know any implications that this might have for Santa's reindeer?
1: They might all be female.
2: Yeah. So Santa's reindeer are generally depicted as having antlers. So that would mean in December, Christmas Eve, you see reindeer in the sky with antlers. That means that they're probably all women, which is really cool. The first depiction of Santa's reindeer came in 1821 from a New York printer. And he published a 16-page booklet titled A New Year's Present to the Little Ones from 5 to 12, Part 3, by an anonymous author. So that mentions reindeer with Santa. There's also the 1822 poem, which I think is slightly more common for the reference between Santa and reindeer. Another cool fact is that their eyes change. Their eyes change colour in winter. So in order to adapt to varying levels of light in their kind of northern habitats... The tapetum lucidum, which is something we've mentioned before, that's the layer of tissue that helps reflect light in some species. It turns blue during the winter uh, because it allows them to see slightly better when it's darker, which is pretty cool. Oh, also, another thing about the antlers is that they generally start off sort of fuzzy. So they've got something that's called velvet covering them. And this is full of blood supplies. This helps the antler grow and then it's shed and so sometimes if you see pictures of deers or a reindeer with kind of what looks like bloody skin on their antlers, it's not that they've just been attacking someone, it's because they're shedding their velvet or potentially attacking someone. I don't speak for all deer, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so there's some really interesting things about reindeers that are have them separated out from other deer. Oh, interestingly, they also make a clicking noise with their feet, not because not because of their hooves, like other anim- other hooved animals, but because their tendons slip over their foot bones as they walk, which sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, it
0: sounds gross. Yeah.
2: Oh, also, I forgot to mention what they eat. Um, so they eat moss, herbs, ferns, grasses and shrubs. And also in winter, they do eat lichen. And that's why it's sometimes called reindeer moss oh yeah and they scrape at the snow with their hooves and also um a reason potentially why females have antlers is because they also use their antlers to scrape away at the snow in order to get at food the males tend to use it as a sort of display to fight between other males to win females
0: men oh. yeah always ratting aren't they <laughs> yes well listeners i hope you enjoyed this quick march through a few uh, christmas related plants and animals we'll be back after christmas with another full episode it's our secret santa where we get to pick our own topic to surprise the other two but for now i guess from all of us
1: merry christmas merry christmas merry christmas ho 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 Can I say that? Is that appropriate?